us, God. We just ask that you would have your way. We love you, and thank you so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. Thank you so much. Uh, if you could have the word cloud come on up, I want to remind you that you're at New Covenant Church. We are known because of the Bible being opened here. This is not supposed to just be the ideas or the, um, you know, the, the preferences of the leadership team. We want to always be standing on the promises, standing on the truth of Scripture. And when you open up your Bibles, and today we're looking, if you're in your pew Bibles, to page 704, We'll be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, but this is the, this Bible is central, and within the, gospel, within the Bible, you will find the good news, the gospel, and that's why all those other things about caring and uh, friendly and being reformed and, and even being covenantal, uh, you can see that that's why uh, we can celebrate folks working with the children and folks doing this and, and actually going on a mission field overseas, as well as even going over land, as we said, to East Kentucky. There's a a lot of things that are happening, but what's most important is what God's doing inside of you, what he's doing inside of you. And, and Solomon is going to show us some things today. Maybe it's a little bit of a review. Some of it is hopefully going to sink down in and you're going to see that we need to hear from God. As Romans chapter 10 says, how can they believe on him of whom they've not heard? And that is the voice of the spirit of God moving in your own soul that you know that there is a God and you know that God knows you. And it's wonderful when you really realize that you know why he went to that cross. He died on the cross to pay for my sin. When you understand that personally, boy, uh, scripture says everything becomes new. Uh, now, if you could open your Bibles, let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, ins infallible word as it was given in the originals. We'll be looking, as I said, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, and we'll be looking at verses 12 uh, through 17, and then we'll be going through quite a few verses in Ecclesiastes. Uh, but this is the words from Solomon as an older man. Uh, you can read about that in chapter 1. Uh, he identifies himself as the king in Jerusalem. Uh, we know that he wrote this as an older man. As a young man, he wrote the Song of Solomon when he was in love, you know, puppy love. Uh, and it tells us really about the beauty of love. Then when he was about a, a middle-aged guy and he was focused on parenting, you can see that uh, the book of Proverbs was written and he gives us these insights. Train up a child in the way he should go. But when he gets old... Uh, we find that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes right before he died. That's what I believe. Uh, and uh, we know that when he died, uh, some bad things happened. In 931, there was a civil war. Um, but Solomon probably wrote this about 932 or 933. Now, when we look at these words, they are so applicable because they deal with truth from a philosophical position. Solomon says, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Verse 13, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same events happened to all of them. Verse 15, then I said in my own heart, what happens to that fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is empty or vain. It's vanity. For the wise as the fool, 
For, for of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in days to come all will have long been forgotten, how the wise die, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I just hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is empty, it's all vanity. It's a striving after the wind. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open up these words, I pray that we will not come away with despair and sadness, but may we come away, away from it with more, um, with more urgency, with more, uh, more uh, passion, and, and may we also move forward uh, with, with a more of a clinging spirit. May we not move forward without you. I pray you'll show us the way, the truth, and the life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to see some more things, but we've just finished up the week of Bible school, and there's a lot of things in Bible school. But in chapter 2, there is this phrase there in verse 12, and he says, So I turned to consider. Now, what, what, in order for you to turn to consider, that means you've considered something, and now you're turning away from that to consider something else. What we've been trying to show the children this week is that what you've been listening to from the worldly voices, from the secular community, is not the same as what you'll hear from God and what's in God's Word. And we've been encouraging them to turn and consider what God has to say because many times they've never even heard it before. We've been trying to teach them what God says by opening up the scriptures. And if, if you follow along with me, you'll know uh, most of the kids saw it in the game show on Friday night. Genesis 1, 27 was the, was the verse that everybody memorized. It said, hey, God tells us, because he was there, that you are not an accident. He made you in his own image. You are different from all other creatures because you have the imago Deo, you're in his image. Male and female, he created them. Now, is the world saying that? No, the world is trying to tell you that you get determined what you are, but God has already told us what we are. Now, on the next day, and it was Psalm 139 and verse 14. Some of you know this because we usually... Uh, share this when we're talking about our, the pro-life movement and we talk about the little babies and the pictures of what happens during those nine months. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we've been spending time trying to explain to the young people that, that we're not just a bunch of cells that are thrown together. We are amazing. If you guys could have sat through Dr. Schwobel's class, uh, which happened right over there, you'd be sitting there saying, man, your nose is special. Your, your lungs are special. Your blood is special. And we were focusing on your liver is special too because we mentioned that uh, we were trying to raise some funds for Matt. His liver is not this green, gratefully. Hope it's not this green. Uh, this is just a 3D replica of a liver. But when you realize, what happens when a liver doesn't work? Talk to Matt. Walk with life with Rick, his dad. When one part of the body hurts, it affects everything. And it's so fascinating when we were, we were looking how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then we went on, there was five days, but I, the next verse that I focused on was John eleven twenty five. As we were getting towards the end of the week on Thursday, we were focusing on the resurrection. And that's the verse from, uh, from John chapter 11 where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's pretty amazing. But when Jesus utters those words, I am the resurrection and the life, 
If you believe in me, you'll never perish. You'll live. Even if you die, you'll rise again. And it's really interesting when we were talking to the children, the world doesn't tell you about rising again, but God does. Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose, and if we're in him, we will rise as well. We don't have to fear the grave. We don't even have to fear a disease. We don't have to fear COVID. It's pretty amazing. And the last day, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, the world would never quote this verse, for we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to be doing something good with the time we have. Uh, no, the world doesn't say that, but God does. God put you here for such a time as this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we find a lot of secular language. We find Solomon as a pundit. He's trying to deal with the general population. And his evangelism is the type of an apologetic using a, some proverbs, because you can see that in chapter 1, but you can see that in the wisdom literature, he is giving you a philosophical explanation. And most people don't understand it because it sounds so sad. It sounds miserable. But you know what? As a pastor, I do a lot of pastor counseling. When I counsel people, they usually are miserable. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Solomon is using the technique that, that hits almost everybody where they are. How many of you are in heaven already? How many of you are, are just feeling perfect and wonderful? How many of you are not aging? I knew I'd get you on that one. It's interesting that many of us in our old age were thinking certain things because we've let go of some other things because we can't keep up. Even watching some of you try to sing Zoomerang. I'm standing up here looking at you saying, should we try to get you to do it? Or will you get hurt just trying to do the move? Ouch. No. My point is, is that we need to listen to God. And that's what we find in the text. There are secular voices that are out there. And uh, the secular voices that are, that are really loud uh, tell us two main things. And they're the first two points of the sermon. Secular voices tell us that wisdom and evil are compatible. I want to tell you that God says they're not. But secondly, the thing that you're going to find the secular voices are yelling out is not merely that, uh, that evil is okay with wisdom, but then if, if, they, if, you re, if you rationalize pleasure away and the evil away, then wisdom is enough. But secular voices tell us that wisdom will satisfy you, and I want to tell you, no, it won't. Okay, after we look at these two secular voices, I want, to hear, I want you to see that Solomon is going to tell us more about what God says. And you're going to see that it is a myth to believe the secular people over the, the, the saved people. Because the saved people are echoing what God has revealed to them, and hence they're showing what's in Scripture. The secular voices that tell us that evil is compatible. Well, if you have your Bibles open there, you're going to see, in, before we get to verse 12 of chapter 2, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. And uh, so what you find in the next few verses there is the secular voices in this world that would say, hey, 
well, we haven't got justice. We haven't gotten the things work out the way we want. Because you can see that in chapter 1. He says, even when you get pretty smart, at the end, he says, it's just a vexation. For in much wisdom is much vexation, because he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. That was verse 18 at the end. So at the end of the first chapter, after he introduces himself and tells us a little bit of things, he says, you know, yeah, I, I get it. I understand things. I'm pretty wise. You know, I, I'm, I'm, in fact, you know, he's implying that he's Solomon and he got that wisdom gift from God. And so he saw all this. He says, but it's almost like the Charlie Brown with Charles Schultz. The more you know, the more you know that you don't know at all. So with all this great wisdom, you can look at it, and Solomon says, well, let's explore. If we're an apologist, we're going to say, hey, I've got wisdom, but let me add to it pleasure. And this pleasure is an interesting thing because uh, in the one word calls it um, a madness, and the other word, you know, if you look there in verse uh, 12, he ends up saying madness and folly. So in the first part, in chapter 2, he ends up explaining a lot about the madness, and most commentators believe that the word madness is not when you go crazy and insane, but it is kind of insane to actually think that you can do evil and God will smile at you. It is pretty stupid. But the world here will tell you what the secular voices is, is do what you want to do. Have at it. You can do anything you want. You can be anything you want to be. You be you. That's not what God says. The secular voices are echoing this over and over. And as I was reading in the different commentaries, they were explaining that uh, Solomon is almost making the case that wisdom plus uh, these experiences, which most of them are sinful secular experiences, they are, uh, they're going to cause you more trouble. You know, going back to Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a person, but if you know the rest of the verse, but, they, but it leads to death and despair. Solomon knew all these things, but as a pundit in writing in this kind of genre, he's presenting it to us like a, a house of hedonism. Uh, when I ran across that from one of the commentators, I thought, that's pretty cool. He paints, he tells us about the world that builds this house of hedonism. In other words, it's a house of pleasure. It's a house of doing whatever you want. And then he says, hey, if you come on into, into that house of hedonism, you're going to find they have some special rooms. You know, it's like a mansion. It's really cool. In one of the places, it has a special pub, a private pub, where you can go and get a smoke, or you can go and get a drink, or you can go and get a little bit of drugs, or whatever it is. You can go over there and, and have a lounge and just relax and chill. How many of you does that sound good to? Solomon says, hey, I had wisdom, and I thought we could go to, over to that room. But Solomon doesn't just stop there. He says, oh, there's a garden out back. You can see all the beautiful things in the world. Man, all the different colors, all the, oh, you can even see the butterflies that fly on those things. And when you look at those, you can just say, wow, this is neat. All the philanthropy that this world has to offer. But also in that house, you can find that there is a room that has a safe in it and it has some treasures and those treasures actually could be gold and silver. You know, it's not going to be American dollar bills because they're worthless these days. But in the treasury room, there are all the things that you think are valuable. Maybe if you came through the Coober PD, which is what we were talking about in Australia where they have the opals, you might find these precious gems and jewels. Well, he was saying, hey, when you're in this house of pleasure, you can have anything you want. But you know the room that he seems to focus on the most is the bedrooms. And the reason I call that plural is because Solomon knew a lot about sex. 
The Bible tells us that he had 700 concubines and 300 wives. Um, when he explains this here, and you can read a little bit more about it in chapter 7 about the woman that wants to be able to be active this way, Solomon is saying, hey, I'm a man, and I went to that house of pleasure, I went to that house of hedonism, and I did what everybody wished they could do. I'm the king. Now, the problem with this secular voice, and Solomon finally concludes and he says, this was a bad idea. We need to stay away from it. I had here secular voices. We need to be careful, as I quoted here, foreseeing what Solomon saw might tempt you to what he had. And that is that you should fulfill your own desires and be all that you want to be. You see, this kind of mentality is going on in the world today. Who is being restrained? Who is being held back from doing what they want to do? I know the answer. The people that know God, they're being told to be quiet, to, sh to, be, to, to hush, to back off. Don't be a terrorist to your own children. Don't be a mean neighbor. Don't be, uh, don't, don't be somebody that is going against the government. It's really interesting when you look at it. The, the, the world, the secular voices are constantly telling us, be nice. Don't offend anybody. Don't even talk about those topics that are awkward. Just let them go. You know, you can almost hear them singing. <whistles> you know, just don't worry about anything. And that's often the way the parenting is going, and that's why a lot of children are growing up today not having a clue about what God says because they've been listening to these secular voices. And as I read through, I, I was thinking about how we need to not go to that house of hedonism. Uh, Paul, uh, John Bunyan, when he wrote his famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, which was the story of an individual who lived in man's soul and was going to make the journey to the celestial city. If you follow along, that's the idea of somebody that's got a sinful soul that wants to go to heaven. How do you do it? And he did it in an allegory. He talked about it as a journey, as a progress. And uh, when you read the story, there's this one town, this, this happening place called Vanity Fair. And I remember when I read through it with my kids, they always had some neat pictures there. You know, they picture a carnival, and they picture all this fun and all this wonderful smells and all these kind of things. And you, every one of your senses gets stimulated. It's so cool to go to Vanity Fair. Until you read a little bit further into the chapter. What looked great ended up getting encaged. It became a bondage. And then you find Pilgrim wanting to get out of Vanity Fair and not knowing how to get out. It's almost like he sold his soul to the devil and he's trapped. And this is what happens with addictions. This is what happens when people listen to the secular voices and they think it's okay to include some evil in their behavior. Now, this Solomon explains that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. But in chapter 12, he shifts and he says, So I turned to consider wisdom with folly. And he says, and he starts to explain, he says, um, he's, he's talked about wisdom with the madness and the wisdom with folly. And now he's basically getting down to this place where he says, Let me just tell you, let's just, let's just be satisfied with wisdom. This is what the secular voices would tell us. Solomon is, he's, he's failed the pleasure test. And now he is dealing with some other things. He would want something more. 
because he hasn't been satisfied. So wisdom, he thinks wisdom is going to finally get it to him because in chapter one, he's like, he, he tried work and he tried this and then he tried pleasure and now he says wisdom by itself. But there's two things that he brings out here in our, in our text verses. In verses 12, 13, 14, 15, and all the way down to, to 18. He says that wisdom is insufficient. The secular people will tell you if you're just wise, you'll be able to get these things. But when you have wisdom, there's two things that wisdom can't do. It cannot offer you protection against death. And wisdom cannot offer you protection against ill-deserved inheritors. Let me explain those really quick. You can read more in the text as you go through it. But the first thing is, is you can be the wisest person. You can have the best protocols for your health. But you know what you can't stop? Your last breath. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment to stand before your creator. There is no way that any of us can cheat death. Yes, there are a couple in scripture that God had extra grace for. You could say Enoch and you might be able to say Elijah who was taken up on the chariot. But everybody else tasted of death. Wisdom, Solomon with all of his wisdom. Jesus said, you know, you couldn't even, um, he couldn't even compare to the beauty of the birds and the flowers and the lilies. But even with the wisdom of Solomon, he couldn't stop getting old and dying. It's so sad. He says, the fool and the wise alike die. And he's like, huh. But then wisdom, because it can't stop you from death, but it also can't stop you from wasting your life away. Now, all of us that think we're pretty smart, I mean, I assume if you've come to church, you've got some wits about you. At least somebody loved you enough to bring you here that's got some brains. It's good to be in the house of God. As Jesse said, you should be glad when someone said, let's go there. Makes me glad. But when you come to church, you, you're a person with purpose. Why do you come? Do you come to check the box to be able to say you did it? Did you come to be able to see if somebody else is at church with you? Did you come to see what kind of production was going on? Or did you come to hear a good message? Or did you come to see, hear some neat singing? Or did you come to see if your friends were here? What is your purpose in living? Well, Solomon in this, in this uh, verses 16 and 17 ends up saying, hey, everybody's got a purpose for doing what they do. And if you liken the purpose to your work. Okay, so you get up and you go to work each day. Why do you go to work? Because you have to get money. But some of you that have created your own business, why do you create a business? Well, maybe to meet needs, but actually to get money. Or do you really have a noble purpose that you get up and you work because you want to work? It's really interesting when you start to wrestle through this. But once you finally figure it out and you say with wisdom, I'm here for a reason. Then Solomon says, when you have all this wisdom and you know what your purpose is, guess what happens? You can't take all that purpose that you've spent years and years, sweat and tears, and you can't pass it on. I already told you about Solomon. Is there anybody smarter than Solomon living at Solomon's day? No. And Solomon, with all of his wisdom, guess what he couldn't do? He couldn't make the kingdom, the glory days of the kingdom of Israel came to an end when Solomon died because his son couldn't get along with the other guy. Rehoboam and Jeroboam reminds me of some of the relationships we have these days. Why can't they just get along? <laughs> But with all the wisdom that Solomon tried to amass, no doubt he tried to tell his kids. I mean, he wrote some awesome books. 
But apparently the next generation says, whatever, who cares? You're old fashioned. We're going to do what we want to do. I want to stay at home till I'm 46. Why not? In the old days, you didn't get that option. But today, you can do whatever you want to do because the secular voices are trying to tell you that, hey, wisdom is all you need. Chill out, enjoy life, but it doesn't satisfy. The remainder of the sermon is about the voice that you should listen to. And when you look at chapter 2, you're going to see there in verse 24, he says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I said, it, this also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. In other words, when you look there, Solomon is saying, hey... I'm going to tell you that God has something different to say than the secular community. But while we're still talking about what God says, turn over with me to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, you're going to see how he summarizes it at the end. God speaks again. During Bible school, we really brought out the emphasis of chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator when you're in Bible school. I mean, we've got him singing. Genesis 1:27. you know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then in verse 27, he made me. And then he made, the, he made man. He made Adam in his own image. It's really cool. Remember your creator when you're young, when you're starting to figure things out, when you are, when you are present. He says, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I don't have pleasure in living these days. Some of you may have already gotten to those days. I talk about four generations that exist. The first generation is the baby stage. They eat, drink, sleep, and poop. There's not that many more things. They smile and they cry. That's true. They do a few more things. But it's very simple. Okay? They don't really care about much else besides what was in that little bubble. Now, the next stage is the big stage of life. I call it the Superman and Wonder Woman stage. And that's when you start recognizing that you're a person and that you belong, that you have some special gifts and traits and characteristics and interests and passions, and you have a personality and all that stuff. And you don't know, you don't have any limits. The sky's the limit. You might even be able to fly one day. You know, that's why I say you're Superman or you're Wonder Woman, because you almost feel like. You could be an astronaut. You could be the president. You know, you could be a preacher. I don't know how many aspire to that. But if you think about it, that generation is a great generation to be in until you get to generation three. And I believe generation three, that's where I am, is when you realize that you don't have as much time as you thought you had. When time becomes one of the awareness, kids never appreciate time. They're always waiting to be able to drive the car or to be able to have a first drink or to be able to get married or to be able to do this or do that. They're always waiting, hurry, you know, they want to hurry up time to get to it. No, no, there gets to a point in time where you want to say, time, slow down. And that's the third generation. I call it when you have a bucket list and you realize that you can't do everything that you dreamed of doing. And by God's grace, you hope to be able to do a few of those things on that list. Like when Sean was telling us about heading to Eastern uh, Kentucky, 
or or somebody going to the Ukraine. You know, do we really have time to be able to do that? Can we fit it in? Is it going to work? See, when we have to prioritize one thing over another, that's the third generation. The fourth generation is what he's describing here. Uh, when you have no pleasure in your days, when the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keeper of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. Now, what he's actually going through, their grinders are teeth. And when he talks about the strength, it's talking about your legs. And there are different parts of the body that are euphemisms. He says, hey, when your body starts to not want to do what you want it to do, and it's not so enjoyable even to go for a walk, hurts too much. His emphasis here was, hey, remember your creator. Don't wait till you get to that end stage, that fourth generation. And so he goes on and he encourages people um, to, to pay attention um, in verse uh, 6, he, he restates it using a few illustrations. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Now, he's, he's not talking about your body there. He's talking about the things that you have in your life. You know, if you can't get water up from the well, or if you can't, uh, if the silver cord is snapped, then that means you can't uh, use that cord anymore. All of these are interesting metaphors to paint the picture. Hey, everybody, stop listening to the secular voices and make sure you listen to God, especially when you're young. Because when you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's young, when he's old, chapter 12, he'll remember. And that's why verse 9 kicks in. He says, besides being wise... Uh, this, this pundit, this proclaimer, this teacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. This same guy, Solomon, sought to find the words of delight and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. Do you understand that Solomon is saying, don't depend on the secular voices? As he's getting older, he says, I took great pains and I toiled because I wanted to make sure I could communicate with this next generation and with my peers. You need to listen to the voice of God. Yes, I wanted to make it beautiful. I wanted to make it creative. I wanted to make it so you wouldn't say, ha, ha, boring. And I have to tell you, Solomon is not boring. He went to great pains to be able to teach and to show these things. Verse 11 explains that these truths that are from God, they are like wise words, and they are like goads. They are like nails firmly fixed in the collected savings. Um, now, it's interesting that he uses these two more analogies, and if you were living in that day, you knew what a goad was. You know, it's something that you would, you know, on the heels like a, like a cowboy when they kick into the, the gut of the, uh, of the horse that you're riding. What does the horse do when they get kicked? Well, if it was Balaam, the donkey would turn around and say, don't do that to me. <laughs> you have to know that Bible story. Um, but horses don't like to be goaded. And so they, get, they start to run and they want to do the things that the person on the horse will, wants so that there's no more whipping, no more pressure, no more difficulties. This is what God is doing to us. He's teaching us to go in the right way so that we don't just stay in, this, in the path with sinners. Remember David, which is Solomon's dad, said, blessed is the man that doesn't hang out with the scorners, that doesn't stand there, sit there, or, or live there. 
But blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and, and meditates in it when you're awake in the day and when you're going to bed at night, day and night. That person that's blessed will be like a tree that brings forth its fruit in its season. When you look at this, he says, my son, verse 12. Oh, because, oh, by the way, I have to say that at the end of verse 11, the shepherd is capitalized because it's talking about the shepherd, the Psalm 23 shepherd, Yahweh is my shepherd. I listen to him. He guides me. His words are truth. Now he goes on, he says, my son. Now he's speaking to Christians and, and, and to all of us alike. Beware of anything beyond these. In other words, you need to listen to God's words. You need to listen to the scriptures. And I know that Solomon was very much familiar with Moses' writings. He didn't have all 66 books of the Bible, but he had all the ones at the beginning. He knew about creation from what God had revealed. And Solomon was wise, not simply because God helped him, but because he was able to discern and put the, together the things that God had already revealed. The secular people were listening to secular voices, and they don't know these things. How would they know? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 tells us, the natural, or first, chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person doesn't understand the things of God. If I go back to chapter 1, verse 18, that's where he says the preaching of the cross is to them that are perishing, the secular people, it's foolishness to them. They'll never figure it out because they're not spiritually quickened. They're not spiritually made alive. They can't discern it. They can hear it, but it doesn't make any sense. Why do we worship a dead guy that was on a tree? Man, why do you want to follow this dude that was put a crown of thorns on and was mocked? Or as Isaiah told us, he was despised and rejected of men. He was acquainted with sorrows. You guys are nuts to believe in some dude that, that was here 2,000 years ago. You see, that's what the secular world is listening to. Hence, that's why they wanted to close the Bibles in our public schools. And they wanted to tell you, don't pray. No more public prayers. We don't want you to offend anybody else. Even to the point that the one guy couldn't even take a knee. Oh, I'm just going to try it. My knee is sore. He took a knee at, half, half, at the 50-yard at the line. You heard about him recently because the Supreme Court said he can still do it. But the secular community is saying, no, no, no. Not in our world. Because they don't listen to the things of God. And Solomon says, my son, if you have that open to you in, uh, in, in um, I shouldn't have closed the Bible. If you go there to uh, Ecclesiastes, you're going to find out the last verses. My son, this very personal application. He, he's really wanting to drive it home. Listen to God. My son, beware of anything beyond what God has said. He said, of the making of books, there is no end. You can always find secular voices telling us this, 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 this. Secular voices will tell you that we need to not eat red meat. Secular voices will tell you that we can't eat pork. Secular voices will tell you that you can't travel anymore or that you can't have a car that has gasoline. Secular voices will tell you lots of things. Sometimes secular voices will tell you to be nasty and mean, to use the F word and all that. Secular voices don't all line up. They're all over the place. But what they all are in agreement with is that God's way and God's word is not for them. And if it's not for them, 
then they don't want you to have it either. He says, lots of people write their books, they tell their words, and there's weariness in it. But if you look at verse 13, the end of the matter is this. All has, all has been heard. Listen, God has told us to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is what you're here for. Have a relationship with God and stay in the lanes that God tells you to stay in. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Remember in chapter 2, don't be fooled. You can't get away going to the house of hedonism and get away with it. In the, in the Bible school, I'll finish with this. We were trying to tell the kids that you have a life. My dad would say, you only have one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So what are you doing for Christ? What do you do? If you're listening to God, and God has said in his Bible that he has something for you to be doing, just like Esther was told by Mordecai, for such a time as this, you're here. Well, you're all here, and I'm standing like Mordecai looking at you saying, what are you here for? And if you don't stand up, Mordecai said, then God will just raise somebody up to take care of that business. But as a pastor, I'm saying to you, no, 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 no. You don't get away that easy. God has prepared for you certain good works to be doing. He has prepared them in advance, predestined them, that you and I should be doing them. In Bible school, we did this by teaching the kids with these symbols. Building the kingdom. Can you bring that one up? Let's go ahead and sing it. Can you do the motions? Building the kingdom. It's a fun song. Working, working every day. Building the kingdom. Serving, serving is the way. Building the kingdom. Give to those who are in need. Love your friends and enemies. Shining for the world to see. Everybody. Building the kingdom. You can hit pause now. I think you get the point. It's a joy to see your smiles on your faces. You guys picked up on it. Even some of you older ones were building the kingdom. If you're listening to God, God just doesn't whisper into your ear to make you feel good. He whispers and yells at you at different times because he's a loving parent. What is he calling you to do? Do it! Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message that comes from Solomon. He teaches us that there's a lot of secular voices out there. And they say all kinds of things. The, the world is filled with books from everybody's idea. They're secular thoughts. Lord, we don't even have to look very far. We can look at the politicians and, and, the, and the, uh, much of the legislation that's being advanced these days is tr not trying to build your kingdom, but to build theirs building a kingdom that's their own, not yours. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would renew us today, that our ears, our spiritual ears, would be inclined to hear the Spirit speaking in our hearts. We've all confessed that we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in God the Father. We believe in the Holy Spirit and the ecclesia that he is working in. Lord, we say all those things, but I pray that we will be not just sayers, but doers and hearers. Lord, show us the way. You are the capital S shepherd in our lives. 
And when we consider the matter, I pray that we might fear you, heed you, do the things that you bid, for this is the joy of life. Lord, we all know that we're going to stand before the judgment seat one day because we can't cheat it. We may try to take a shot or take a pill. We may try to avoid people and we may try to make a journey here or we may try really hard to eat organic or whatever it is we try to do with wisdom. We realize that that is not enough to get a relationship with God. Jesus came to this world to pay for our sin. That's the wisdom of God. I pray that you will bless everyone with that wisdom that we may never forget it because we know that that truth will never be forgotten from generation to generation because you guarantee it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.